We'll see y'all next Sunday. That's good. <laughs> it's all we need, man. It's good stuff. I love, I always say, man, a song like that and the spirit just feels so powerful in there. Anybody can get up here and preach after that. You know, it just makes you so excited. If you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the very end of the chapter, starting in verse 26. While you're turning there, just let some of you know what's going on. Some of you have seen people walking around here with these black shirts that say press on on them and wondering what that all is about. Well, this is anniversary, six-year anniversary of Ms. Glenna Kenner uh, sitting right over here. And six years ago, she had a massive brain aneurysm, and one side of her uh, brain was completely submerged in blood, and the doctors told her when, when that happens, there's only one of two outcomes. She's either going to die or she's going to remain a veg- in a vegetative state for the rest of her life. But now she's up here on stage praising God, and so... Press on was just a word that just one of many that God had been speaking during that whole time, which just means, man, no matter how bad things seem, no matter how dire the outcome seems to be, no matter how bad the news is that you get from a doctor or anyone else, you just press on because you don't know what God is up to. So I hope that encourages you as well. Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 26. Let's all stand together as we read the word of the Lord. It says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, it is uh, such a good thing to come here, Lord, and together like this in your name and to uh, receive from your word. God, we know that your word, the Bible here, it's not just a book like other books. It's, it, there's something powerful, something supernatural about it. And when we read it, when we hear it, when it is proclaimed, something real happens in the spirit realm and manifests in us in different ways. And so, Lord, right now, we just submit ourselves to that supernatural power and ask you to work a miracle in us through the truth in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was a kid, around all through my elementary years, We lived in a house in Tyler that was just down the street from Hubbard Middle School. And me and all the neighborhood kids would ride our bikes all over the campus of that school whenever school was out. And behind that school, there was a set of dumpsters that we would often rummage through to see if there was anything worth keeping that we could find there. And sometimes we would find some pretty neat things. But one day, we lifted the lid on those dumpsters, and it was as if we had just lifted the lid on a wooden treasure chest full of gold that some pirate had buried, and we just dug up, and we just stared in disbelief, making sure that what we were seeing was actually there. 
and touching it and making sure this was real and not some sick joke or a dream that we are in because apparently the school had just received a shipment of brand new football equipment. And so they had thrown out all the old equipment that they had had. And there was good stuff in there. It was everything. There were helmets with face masks intact and shoulder pads and hip pads and pants. And all of it was just sitting there. And we couldn't believe it. We had hit the jackpot. So we all gathered up as much of it as we could carry and went to, to one of the kids' yards to go play real football. Some of you uh, heard this story. And I'm telling you that that was the first time that I'd ever put on the set of football pads in my life. And when I put those pads on and I placed that helmet on my head, this transformation came over me. Something in my brain switched to where I knew that I was suddenly invincible. It was like I had just become Superman because I had these football pads on and nothing could hurt me. And so like any regular red-blooded American boy, I had to prove that nothing could hurt me in those pads. And so I uttered the famous words that usually precedes a very bad idea. Y'all watch this. I was too young at that time to say, hold my beer, but... (laughs) Same level of intelligence was at play, I promise you. <laughs> when this particular yard we were playing in, I remember my friend Bryce Adams, we were in his yard and there was a tree in the middle of it. And so I got my uniform on and I got down in a three-point stance and I exploded headed straight for that tree. I lowered my head and I hit it as hard as I could and I'm lucky I didn't break my neck. But I did bounce off of that tree like a rubber ball into a backward somersault onto the ground and lay there whimpering. And all the other kids came around me to make sure that I was still alive. And I slowly got back up on my feet and tried to act like I was okay. And I was real tough, but everything was still spinning. And it continued to spin for a while. But I learned a very valuable lesson that day, that football pads are not made for tackling trees. (laughs) They're made for tackling people. But that transformation that took over me when I put those pads on and that helmet let me know that football was my destiny because it was like something magical happened. It's just crazy to think how just putting something on, a piece of clothing like that could have such a powerful effect on my psyche. I mean, it absolutely change my whole attitude and my identity. I was no longer some skinny kid riding a bicycle in the neighborhood. I was a football player and nothing could hurt me. If you're following along in your sermon guide in your bulletin there, the very first point is this. What we put on affects what we believe and how we act. What we put on affects what we believe and how we act. This is true for anything, not just uh, football pads. If you take a group of guys and you have them all dress up in grungy shorts and T-shirts and flip-flops, you're going to see them act a lot different than you would if those same guys were dressed in designer three-piece suits. In being in their shorts and T-shirts, you might see them, if they're sitting down, they're probably slouching their chair just a little bit prop their feet up on something in front of them. Some of them may even start horse playing around with each other. There would just be this laid-back, 
careless kind of atmosphere because of what they're dressed in. But if you put those same guys in a bunch of three-piece suits, you wouldn't see that. You'd see them all walking a little straighter, and if they're sitting down, they're going to sit up straighter or probably stand there with their hands crossed like this all proper and with their feet on the floor just right if they're sitting down, and there wouldn't be any horse playing or anything like that. I mean, you know when you see a guy all dressed up to the hilt, there's just a little something different about him. I mean, he walks just a little bit different, the chest out, the gut in, and there's just a little swagger to his gait. That's not there when he's just wearing shorts and a t-shirt. The women are the same way. I mean, there's a difference in in how you women carry yourself depending on what you wear. I mean, am I right? Of course. I mean, you can see this. I'm, I'm a people watcher, and so I notice things like this. But the same can be said about things that we wear that aren't necessarily clothes. I mean, you can tell just by the way that people talk, the way they live, the way they treat others, what they have put on. Those who are mean to others and are always talking negative about people and putting others down have more than likely put on the lie that they are worthless or that they are not good enough, and so they've got to make everybody else look worse than them. Some have put on rejection, and you can see it by the way that they just don't allow anyone to get too close to them so that they won't ever get rejected again, or they do anything and everything that they can in order to be accepted by anyone who will have them. There are those who wear the pain caused by something or someone in the past, and they're pretty good at hurting others because hurt people are the ones who tend to hurt people. What we put on affects what we believe and how we act. The Bible speaks to this in many places and uses this idea of being clothed in something, either good or bad. In Psalm 35, 26, David prays that his enemies will be clothed with shame and dishonor. Again, in Psalm 109, he says, Let my accusers be clothed with dishonor and let them cover themselves with their own shame as with a robe. In Ezekiel chapter 7, God is telling of the judgment that is coming to Israel for her wickedness and disobedience. And he says, the king will mourn and the prince will be clothed with horror. But here's a good one. And Isaiah 61 is talking about uh, prophesying about what is coming in Jesus, telling of what we will have in the gospel. In verse 10, it says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Paul carries this same thought here in his letter uh, to the Galatians. In verse 27, where he says, we are clothed with Christ. In the book of Galatians, Paul was writing to Christians who had come under the influence of a religious sect that was operating at that time called Judaizers. And the Judaizers believed that Christians should still follow the old covenant law in order to remain saved and, and to receive the favor of God. To them, salvation wasn't just about what Jesus did, but it was also about what we still do. 
Paul was absolutely livid at the thought that someone who had believed the gospel would now believe this garbage. At the beginning of the letter, he calls the Galatians fools for doing so and the Judaizers a bunch of dogs for bringing in this false doctrine. Of course, Old Covenant law was all about what happens on the outside. How someone was made right with God was based on what they did, how they acted, and what they wore. There were strict rules about what you could and couldn't wear, the way you could and couldn't cut your hair, the way that men could even trim their beards, and whether or not women could wear certain pieces of jewelry or not. And so because of this, the Jewish people were very distinct in the way they looked from all other cultures. In fact, they were even forbidden to wear anything that you would find someone in another culture wearing as well. That's how separate and set apart God wanted them to be. And so it was very easy to identify the people of God back then just based on how they looked and what they wore. The Judaizers believed that that was still the case, even for Christians. And so Paul wrote Galatians to let them know that that is not still the case at all. It's not about how you look and what you do on the outside. It's about what Jesus does on the inside. He was saying you don't have to be clothed in religion any longer because you are now clothed with Christ. That was a huge statement for Paul to make to that culture at that time. To say that we are clothed with Christ was something that had great significance to the people then, and it should have great significance to us as well. So let's look at what that really means. If we were to to describe what it means to be clothed in a football uniform, we would start identifying the different pieces of that. What makes up a football uniform? And we'd say there's a helmet with a face mask, there's shoulder pads, there's hip, knee, and tailbone pads that fit inside some knee-high pants, knee-length pants that, that fit tight and have a belt around it. There's a jersey, et cetera, et cetera. So let's do that. Same thing with what it means to be clothed with Christ. What are some characteristics of Jesus that we could describe. I've included some in your notes there if you're following along. But how could we describe Jesus? Well, first we could say that he is a favored son of the Father. I've talked a lot about what that means and how Jesus was able to do the things that he did. He was able to live the way that he lived when he was here on earth simply because he knew what it meant to be a son of the Father. He was so secure in that identity and was able to live that kind of life. He was able to live a life unlike anyone had ever lived on earth since Adam before the fall. Adam was able to live that same kind of life because he knew what it meant to be a son of the Father. And that's why one of the reasons why Paul refers to Jesus as the second Adam. We would say that Jesus is righteous. Righteous means virtuous, living in perfect obedience to God's law, sinless. Jesus is completely accepted by the Father. He is absolutely loved. He is holy. He has complete authority. 
He is powerful. He is supernatural. On and on, we could go probably all day about the incredible uh, aspects, the attributes of Jesus. And the good news of the gospel, one of the incredible truths about it is that Every one of those attributes, if you are in Christ, are credited to you. They're credited to you. Underneath that in your guide, you'll see a little arrow pointing up to those things with the statement, this is what you wear. To be clothed in Christ means these are the things that you now wear. Just as 1 John 4, 16 says, you've heard me quote this a lot because it still blows my mind that this is true. 1 John 4, 16 says, as he is, talking about Jesus, so also are we in this world. As Jesus is, so also are we. Are you kidding me? I mean, that is, that is just too good for us to be able to grasp. And I know this whole concept here is very hard for us to wrap our mortal minds around. It's hard for us to accept this, that this applies to us because we know us. We know ourselves pretty well. well. If any of us were asked to describe ourselves like this, none of us more than likely would list any of those things that we said about Jesus. Most of us would probably list things like a disappointment to God, a failure, not good enough, a sinner, someone who tries really hard to do good but seems to come up short every time. Yeah, we know how we act when no one's looking. We know what kind of thoughts go through our mind when it just lays idle. Or when someone angers us or does something to offend us in any way. And none of it comes close to matching up with any of those things, those attributes we listed about Jesus. I've shown you this illustration before, but I brought it again because we always need a reminder about what it means to be in Christ, to be clothed with Christ. Let's say that this jar here represents Jesus and everything that we just said about him. This little army man here represents us and everything, those negative things that we just said about us. When you come to faith in Jesus, you are immediately placed in Christ. That's what God sees. All those failures, all those disappointments, all those shortcomings are now placed in in everything that we just said about Jesus. And I know some of you are probably going, well, yeah, but sometimes it seems like I just jump right back out of that. Sometimes it seems I'm not wearing Christ, I'm, I'm taking him off. Yeah, it may seem like that, but that's not reality. Because look at Ephesians 1.13 up on the screens. It says, in him also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. You were sealed in him. There is no jumping out. There is no taking off because you have been sealed in Christ. When God looks at you, he does not see the failures, the shortcomings, the disappointment, and the dirt. 
He sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. And think about this. Can Jesus do anything to make God love him anymore? No. Can Jesus do anything to make the Father love him any less? Nope. And you know what? Neither can you. Why? Because you are clothed with Christ. You are in him. Everything accredited to Jesus is now accredited to you. That's what that means. Paul takes this idea even further in his letter to the Colossians. Turn over there. Just a few pages. You got Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 also. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And here it is. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. I mentioned last week that apart from Christ, we are spiritually dead. God is a spirit being, and so we need a living spirit in order to commune with and be in relationship with him. But it can't be just any old spirit. It has to be one that is just as holy, just as pure, just as perfect as God himself is because he cannot allow anything less than that into his presence. Mankind was originally created with that kind of a spirit. And so that enabled Adam and Eve to live in that perfect, close, intimate kind of relationship with the Father. But when they rebelled and believed that their way was better than God's way, that spirit died. And so everyone that has come into the world since then has come in with that same condition because we are all born with a sinful nature. A sinful nature and a Holy Spirit cannot uh, inhabit the same place. But when you come to Jesus, an incredible swap takes place. That sinful nature dies, and that dead spirit is brought to life. He made you alive in him. We read that last week. That's what Paul's referring to when he says, for you have died. Last point in your notes. Apart from Christ... Spirit is dead and sin is alive. In Christ, your spirit is alive and sin is dead. Well, some of you might be thinking, well, it sure doesn't seem like it because I still sin. I still have those thoughts. I still do things that don't line up with that. So explain that. Okay, I will. Sorry, I'm kind of having a conversation with myself up here, aren't I? Like Smeagol and Lord of the Wings, rings. Precious. <laughs> Sorry, let's get back to this. <laughs> Four years ago, uh, my family and I, we lived on a place that was about two and a half miles out Highway 79 towards Natchez. And so for... All the years that we lived there, every day I would leave this church to go home. I would pull out onto the loop here, 
and head down to Highway 79. And when I got to the light, I'd get in the left turn lane, turn left on the highway, and go down to my house. Every day, pretty much, I would do this. Sometimes, many times in one day. I did it so much that I promise you I could probably do it blindfolded and pull right up into my driveway without any problem at all. Four years ago, we sold that place and moved to another one about four miles out FM 323, a different part of the county. And so now when I leave the church to go home, instead of turning left at 79, I keep going straight until I get to 84, which there is where I now turn left and then get on 323. But for a while there, there were times where I would leave here to go to my new home, but when I got to the lot at 79, I would just habitually get into that left turn lane. And then I'd be like, wait a minute, I don't live here anymore. I moved. I I moved to a different spot, so I'd get in the correct lane. There were times where I would even be halfway down Highway 79 before I remembered that I don't live there anymore and I would have to do a U-turn, I would have to repent right there and get back headed in the direction of my new home. I no longer lived down 79, but I still habitually did things as if I did still live there. And so I had to remind myself that that was not the case The man who bought our place on 79 is a billionaire who lives in Dallas, a billion with a B. And he bought it because our small six acres in the house adjoined his 1,500-acre ranch that had a high fence around it. And because he wanted our place so bad and because he could, he bought it for a lot more than it was actually worth. If you drove by there today, you would never know that we lived there. Because right after he bought it, he had the house completely demolished. Nothing of a house there at all, which is kind of sad because it was one of the last houses my grandfather built before he died. But the house isn't there anymore, and he took his high fence and included that six, six acres with it. So if you drive by there, it just looks like it's just another piece of his ranch. There's nobody ever lived there. And so even if we wanted to go back and live there, we couldn't. Because of three main reasons. Number one, it was bought with a high price. Number two, the house was destroyed. And number three, a high secure fence with an electric gate and alarms on it was put around it. So we couldn't go back and live in our old place even if we wanted to. Even though our sin nature died with Christ and we are clothed with him, we still tend to live from those old sin sin nature habits. The ways that we used to do, the things that we used to do when we were controlled by that sin nature, which we aren't controlled anymore because it died on the cross with Jesus. And so every day we have to remind ourselves when we start to do anything like like we used to do before Christ, wait a minute, I don't live down here anymore. I've moved to a better place. And so we turn around, we repent, and get going back in the right direction of where God has us now in Christ. And you know what? Here's good news. You couldn't go back and live that old life even if you wanted to. You know why? Three main reasons. That life was purchased with a very high price. That sinful nature was demolished. It's not there anymore. 
and just like that fence that now encloses my old property, you were sealed in Christ. Never to go back to the way you used to be. You may act like you live there, but you don't. You are now in Christ. You have a better home. This is why you keep hearing me say that you and I have got to keep preaching the gospel to each other and to ourselves every day. Because every day we still tend to turn left. And we've got to remind ourselves we don't live here anymore. We've moved to a better place. God has bought us something better. And we turn around and head that direction. You do have a new home. Your sin nature has died and you are now clothed with Christ himself. The more we realize that and the more we actually start believing it, the more our lives are going to reflect it. And our actions will just follow that. Those old habits will become less and less and less. You know why I don't turn left on 79 anymore? Because I've gone to my new place so many times now. Now it's become a habit. Same is true with our spiritual life. We'll keep reminding ourselves who Jesus is, what he has done, and who we are in him. Those old habits tend to become less and less. He's got a new place for you, a new home that he wants you to live from. Let's pray. Lord, I just say right now that we want to be the people that when others look at us, just like they did your people in the Old Testament, they would know that we belong to you, not because of what we look like on the outside, but because of the life that is exuding from us, from the inside that goes out, that they would be able to identify us by the words of life that we speak, by the countenance on our face, by the way that we treat others, and Lord, by the obvious love that we have for you. Jesus, I thank you that you came to provide that kind of a life for us. Lord, I pray right now that the truths from your word here would just permeate all the lies so many of us have believed in that goes so contrary to your word. Lord, for those who still think that there's no way that you could love them like that, Lord, I pray that that would end, that they would leave that lie in here this morning. Lord, for those who still struggle with not being good enough, thinking that they've still got to do something in order to make up for all the, the bad things that they've done, Lord, I pray that that would end here today and they would see who you have made them and it's all about what Jesus has done like I said Lord this is too good to be true it seems at times it's too big for us to grasp in our own ability and so Holy Spirit I ask that you allow that to happen in us And come and now minister during this time. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.